Good morning, everybody. It's like an advertisement for gloves up here. Uh, I've got a theory. Don't you love pastors with theories? Uh, here's my theory. There's one movie that makes more men cry than it makes women cry. This is a stereotypical thing. It's not, I mean, all of your qualifications apply to this statement. But here's my theory. Uh, only because I watched this movie the other day with my wife and she didn't cry. And I was a mess. Um, and you don't have to raise your hand. I, I just trust that this is true. I just believe in my heart that this is absolutely true. The, the movie that you cannot watch if you've got a son or if you had a dad that kind of like was important in your life in any way, the movie is um, the 1989 absolute classic all-American movie, Field of Dreams. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, that's like a Braveheart yell. It wasn't that good, but it's really, it's really good. Okay, so if you haven't watched this movie, which um, statistics tell me one out of 12 of you have not watched this movie, you will after this day, and you'll cry, and it'll be great. Ray Kinsella is this, like, uh, Iowa farmer. He's broke, and he trades in his cornfield for a baseball field, all because um, he hears a voice. This is, how the, this is how this goes. He hears a voice that says, if you build it, yeah, if you build it, uh, he will come. Come on, everybody. If you build it, he will come. Uh, we find out at the end of the movie that the he isn't just some famous baseball players or, or the, the, the Black Sox or Shoeless Joe Jackson, but it's a specific guy. It's the catcher that Joe Jackson points out to Ray at the end of the movie. He, he, he says, look, over there, if you build it, he will come. And he points to the catcher, and the catcher takes off his mask, and Ray goes, oh, my God. And his wife goes, what? He goes, that's my dad. And there's this whole moment where the music swells and everything gets emotional and I lose it for the first time in the movie at this moment. Dry my eyes a little bit. They walk together. They talk a little bit. Ray has this conversation with his dad. His dad's like, thanks for building this place. And he's like, hey, let me introduce you to my, my uh, this, is, this is Karen and Annie and, and um, this is my but this is my friend John. And, and um, as he's walking back into the corn, there's this one moment that's iconic that every, every single guy who's got a dad or dad who's got a son that plays catch with them, and it just chokes you up. And this is where you cry for the second time in the movie. It all happens within like six minutes. You cry a second time when, when John is going back to the corn and Ray musters up the courage and he says to him, hey, dad. So just like that, you know, like a little kid. Hey, dad, do you want to have a catch? Which nobody says it that way is the dumbest line in the whole movie. Do you want to have a catch? Do you want to play catch is what they should have said. But I don't know. Do you want to have a catch? And I just like, I, all my grammar, I don't even care. I just I let it go. I just, it all, it's like waterworks. <laughs> he has a catch with his dad. But it's in this moment where this estranged dad, they get a second chance. And it's the most perfect ending to the movie. You know, like the, the camera zooms up and there's this line of people and if you build it, they will come and the whole thing is perfect. I, um, I love this movie because I spent countless hours playing catch with my own dad. And I know that's not the type of thing to take for granted these days. Um, some of us didn't have that opportunity to play uh, with our dad. Some of us, we played with our moms. Uh, some of us, we just didn't like baseball so we didn't play catch at all. That's, that's okay too. But as I look back on my, on my childhood, Catch was a huge part of it. Um, I was four years old when my dad took me to my first uh, baseball game. This is old Comiskey Park, for those who know, you know. Uh, and I sat right behind a pole the whole entire game. I didn't really enjoy it because I couldn't see anything, and that's why they tore this place down. 
Maybe open it up for a much better stadium. When I, when I was five, my dad uh, coached my t-ball team. Any guesses on which one's my dad? Yeah, hold on, let me do the pose for you. Now any guesses? Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was five, you know, we got through t-ball, my dad got me um, my first real baseball glove. Uh, this is me, five years old, playing first base, rocking it. Look at that form. I don't really think it's good, but that's all right. I was five. Lay off of me. Uh, I remember this was a Frank Thomas edition uh, Rawlings glove, and it was leather. We put a rubber band around it with the ball in it. I slept with it underneath my pillow at night. I broke this glove in so good, but um, uh, when, when I kept growing, my dad had to give me another glove. The next glove was not as good, um, but it, it, it still worked. I kept, I kept growing, and... Um, I thought when I put my hand in that, that, that glove, I was going to be like the next Ozzie Smith or um, like classic White Sox legend Bo Jackson. <laughs> That's just for some of you who know. When we moved, uh, we moved uh, communities, I had to leave the baseball team that I was, I was playing with. We moved. My dad made sure I had new gear for the new team that I would play with. And I, I remember uh, being on this team. Um, we had so many fun memories in, in 10, 11, 12 years old. And I remember uh, a lot of life lessons I learned on a diamond. Uh, one of the life lessons was how to lose. That's what I love about sports, because no kid has a perfect record their whole life. Um, and I learned how to lose. Uh, we, were, we were winning one game 19 to 1. And we lost 26 to 19. My dad still reminds me of it to this day. <laughs> and there's something about that, that core memory I have of my dad. It just goes back to that glove that he bought me that gave me this opportunity to learn how to be, um, well, it taught me to be ruthless in every sporting competition, no matter what. That's what it taught me. No mercy. Uh, when I was 12, my dad let me use his perfectly broken in Wilson A2000. It was from the 70s. Uh, it had no stiffness to it at all. I could catch everything with it. Um, and I, I remember uh, growing up with my dad, it was, just, it was just about baseball. It was about the gloves. It was about everything. So when my kids, when my kids uh, turned, turned four years old, they wanted to play t-ball, I bought them a glove. I did exactly what my dad did. Um, and just like I did, you know, my, I bought my kids a glove and then they outgrew it, which is the cruelty of youth sports. So I bought my son another glove, like a better glove. This, this glove like actually has almost leather. And um, I mean, it's not really, it's, it's uh, but I like didn't buy the $5 glove. I bought like the $50 glove and I thought like this glove is going to be the glove. Just like that glove was so important to me. This glove, my son, he used it for one, one season. And then uh, I, bought, I bought the better glove for my son. And it blows my mind that he uses this glove now. But um, I bought him this glove because like, like my dad did for me, I wanted him to be equipped. I wanted him to have, I want to be able to play catch, catch with my kid. And so um, here, actually, Miles is right here. Everybody say hi to Miles. Um, is it okay if we, I, know, I don't want to like milk the Field of Dreams thing too much, but can we have a catch? Okay, okay, okay. So this is Miles. Uh, I, I don't know if this is going to work for you. Keep, keep, you know. Splash zone, bro. Uh, so, hey, hey, let's, let's be chill, bro. I don't need them, like, throwing. Uh. So, so this is, this, Miles uh, and I have, um, how, I, don't, I don't know, I'd ask you to estimate how many times we've thrown this ball, but it's probably, like, uh, 10,000 times we've just thrown back and forth in, in our lives so far, in 10,001 and 10,002. And, and uh, this kid will, uh, every day, 
kid you not, every day comes up to me and goes, Dad, can I play catch? Do you play catch with me? And uh, I want to be the type of dad that always says yes, but often I say no. Uh, because I, <laughs> catch doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like I can't, can't make a living playing catch. Uh, I can't, other people do, but um, I, I often have to tell them no. But um, whenever we go to cool places, uh, Miles and I will play catch. Like last summer, we went to the Pacific Northwest together. We had an amazing time camping. There were amazing trees and scenery. He wouldn't know. He just was playing catch with me the whole time. Um, this is us on the Pacific Ocean uh, and, and just playing wiffle ball together. Uh, I, I don't know what Miles thinks about when we play catch, but for me, I, are you ready? I don't want to hit you in the face in front of everybody. <laughs> I, um, I think about my dad when I play catch, just all the, the hours that he logged with me. And I, I think about how so much of my life uh, is, is giving to my son kind of accidentally what my dad gave to me. Like, um, take this for example. We live in Kansas City, but Miles, what's our favorite baseball team? White the White Sox. Yeah. Hey, it's my kid, all right? <laughs> Um, I don't know if we had the picture up there uh, of me and my dad wearing the White Sox hats, but um, this was us at the Royals game uh, last year. You can notice who of us has adapted to Kansas City and who's holding tight. Uh, but uh, we're going to go to the game today, uh, just a couple minutes. We watch as much baseball as we possibly can, and we'll wear Royals gear today. You're welcome. Uh, but tomorrow, the second to last place Royals, <clears throat> just for the record are playing the third to last place White Sox. And so it's, it's not like we're like, you know, in the big leagues and really like killing the, you know, it's not, they're not the Cardinals. Uh, so uh, we're going to go to the games and we'll just, we'll just do what we always do. I sit down, I take a picture with my son and I text it to my dad. Because there's something magical about a ball and a glove that brings a kid and a son together. All right, Miles, thanks, buddy. Uh, here, uh, I need that ball back. But can we all say thanks to Miles for uh, just not dropping any of them for, for us. Now, um, I get that no relationship with a dad is perfect. Um, mine is certainly not perfect with my dad. But if um, our relationship with our dad is strained in any way, we feel it deep in our soul. And even in the good moments, the good moments of, you know, those good, beautiful, blissful moments, you know, he won't be eight years old playing catch with me peacefully all the time. I know that there's seasons ahead that might be tough, but in the good moments, even deep inside of us, there's some yearning for an even better expression of, of fatherhood. Um, I, I think this is the dynamic that Jesus talks about when he likens our relationship with God, the Father. God, our Father in heaven is what he calls him. He likens that relationship that we have to, to that of a dad who gives the simple yet profoundly good gifts to their children. Um, here's what Jesus says. He says, well, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Now, that's a really dirty trick. None of us would do that. It's designed to be like pretty provocative. Or if he asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? The answer is, of, of course, no, thank you for answering that rightly. Good gracious, you guys. The answer is no. Here's how we know. Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? I want to think about these words together over the next couple of moments that we have uh, in, our, in our service today. 
And think about the gifts that God gives us. Everything about Jesus' words here describe the good life. First of all, he acknowledges how easy it is for us who are human to be able to give good things to our kids. We, this is good news for us. We innately know how to give good gifts to our children, how to actually help them in this world. You just know how to do this naturally. This is um, one of the biggest uh, worries that I had as a, as a, as a dad-to-be. Like, I, we didn't have any kids. Chris and I were expecting our first, and I remember, like, being excited, but I also remember thinking, like, I just, I just don't know that I like kids, first of all. That was an honest thing that I had. And I also said, I, I don't know if I'm going to do all the right things. Like, is there a class I should take to know, like, when it's okay for them to have candy? And, like, at what age do you start them on root beer? I just, just don't know if I'll do this right. And all of a sudden... Um, I just found myself one day being the one who was like, no, you can't have candy before bed. That's a terrible idea. And it just innately happens. You, you as a parent, you know how to help your child in a way in which they can grow and they can flourish. Simply by being human, you're naturally wired to act with love towards your kids so that your provision in their lives brings a greater flourishing, a greater maturity to them. Jesus said something in this verse that was a little dark. I don't know if you saw it. Let's put this back up. Um, we, we can go to the next slide. That's fine. He says, um, if you then, though you are evil. I don't know if you've been following with this whole entire series that we've done called The Good Life, but in every, it's, it just struck me that in every one of the passages that we've looked at in the book of Luke, statements of Jesus about what makes our lives good, there's something that is kind of offensive that Jesus says in every single one of these passages. And here he starts from this premise that though all of us know innately how to give good gifts to our kids, we are not necessarily good. I um, looked at this this week and, and I, I wanted to just like, the, it kind of plays itself out normally if you just remove these words. These four words can just disappear if you edit it out. If you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven? It kind of feels the same. Why did Jesus say this? And this is not the point of the message, but I just want to model for us the fact that um, it's actually good for us to stop and to consider all of Jesus's words. I don't want to be the type of person, I don't want us to be the type of church that picks and chooses what we listen to Jesus about. We have to be, the t you could applaud for that, that's great. The implications of that are very severe. But, but I, I think for us, if Jesus is first and he is best and his word is most, then we gotta be able to, to, to kind of sit through all of it. And, and this one is actually pretty easy because when I sat and I, I looked at it, I, I thought what Jesus was saying was going to be some version of like this judgy, judgmental, like you were born sinful, you will die sinful, you're nothing, you're no good. What that is, is a soundtrack that plays in our mind that is not from God the Father, that's actually from our enemy. A, a disparaging nature of who we are. Is it true that... Um, we do bad things. Every single one of us, the answer is, yeah. Does that mean we're totally bad, totally wicked, that Jesus' point here is that you, you cannot do anything good? No, his actual point is, is, is realistic. 
He is optimistic about the ways that we as people can give good gifts to our kids, but he's also realistic that we also have the propensity and the tendencies to do bad in this life. When Jesus says, though you are evil, he he is actually showing us an amplification of our best intentions and giving us a contrast to our worst inclinations. I'll, I'll say that one more time. What what Jesus is saying about the good gifts of God the Father, it's so important to the good life that you and I desperately want. We know it comes from Jesus. He says this. He says, even though you are evil, how much more will your Father in heaven? He is amplifying our best intentions, and he is contrasting our worst inclinations. And this is the best gift that Jesus wants to show us is different than what we would ever give our kids and is the best expression of what God wants to give us. How much more will your Father in heaven give, everybody say this with me, the Holy Spirit to whoever asks. This is the gift that unlocks the power for the good life. Um, Now let me be very... (laughs) <laughs> nothing, nothing weirds people out today in modern society than talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, as it were, back in the 1950s or before. The Holy Spirit. You think about the Holy Spirit, and some of you think about the force from Star Trek. You know what I mean. Maybe more appropriately for the illustration I'm weaving together today. Remember that movie, Field of Dreams? Isn't there this, like, thing that happens kind of mysteriously. This like voice that comes out of the corn that whispers and directs the characters. And as the characters follow the voice, they're transformed into a confidence for their actions that really transforms their character. They, they know, Ray knows that he's got something with this farm even though his brother tells him he should sell it. And this voice keeps telling him, stick with it. If you build it, they will come, ease his pain, go the distance. Like, like we think about the Holy Spirit today as if God is going to whisper audibly some direction. And if we're not paying attention, we'll miss it. And I just want to tell us today, that is not how the Holy Spirit works. Everybody say, okay. Because I, I think for us to understand why what Jesus says is that, that the Holy Spirit is the gift from God to us that unlocks the good life is so important. We have to understand and we can understand who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. Uh, you don't have to be freaked out by the Holy Spirit. And just like food is essential for our physical well-being, the Holy Spirit is essential for our spiritual well-being. If you have ever acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord, I know so many people in this room have come to the point where you've put Jesus first in your life. You've said, I give up. God, I give you everything. You have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. It's the Spirit of God who allows us to get to the point where we can even say with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. What Jesus wants us to know is that our Heavenly Father provides the Holy Spirit as the power that we need for this life to whoever would ask for him. Here's the first, um, I got three very simple explanations of what does the Holy Spirit do or who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. Jesus uh, resurrects from the dead. This whole series, we've been asking the question, what does Jesus' resurrection have to do with our lives today? And here's how this kind of meets us today. 
Jesus rises from the dead. He sends his disciples ahead. He meets them. And in Acts chapter 1, which is Luke continued, it's Luke part 2. Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts. And the two volumes that just kind of go together. If you don't read them together, you're missing one or the other. And so in Luke chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1, Jesus meets all of his disciples and he says, you will receive, say it with me, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a pastor named Chuck Smith. He once made the observation that witnesses are not something that we do. Witnesses is who we are. The power of the Spirit comes and makes us witnesses. We witness by living lives that are marked by the power of God. We don't witness by sharing cheap talk. So Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. A witness is someone who has experienced something and has been marked by it. I love this promise uh, from Jesus because even though I didn't witness the crucifixion, even though I didn't witness the empty grave, even though I uh, didn't see Jesus as he levitated to the sky after he said this. By the power of the Spirit, which raised Christ from the dead, I'm actually able to believe all of these things happened so many years ago based on the testimony of these people who have witnessed the resurrection. The witnesses have borne fruit of the witnesses who have borne fruit to the witnesses. And it goes on and on and on until you and I, here we are in 2023 in Olathe, Kansas, on the other side of the world from where this started, having seen the resurrected Jesus in our spirits. God's powerful spirit has convinced me of the truth that Jesus is alive. And I think it's convinced you too. Only the power of God can turn a skeptical heart into a true believer. And he does this by his spirit. What is the power of the spirit doing in our lives? It's very simple. The power of the spirit has, has, has a focal point in your soul. And, and, and he is working to change you to be more like Jesus. Paul wrote to the followers of Jesus in, in Corinth. He wrote this. He says, we all are being transformed into his, that's Jesus' image, into uh, the same characteristics with, with uh, ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in my life as, as, as the, 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 the one who is making me realize the preexistent word of God, Jesus from the first mysterious day of God's creation of this world to the, con the conception of the Son of God to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit is alive and working powerfully in this world. Romans 8, if I could take you to another journey or another vista in the New Testament. Romans 8 was written by this guy named Paul. It contains some of the promises that you have on coffee mugs in your house. Things like, um, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, or um, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in me. Or God works all things together for good. Or um, neither death nor life nor anything can separate us from the love of God. All of these incredible promises are found in this one chapter of the book of Romans. It's chapter 8. In chapter 8 of Romans, I, I kind of dare you to read it this week. And mark down every single 
time, the Holy Spirit is the active agent in all of these promises. You cannot read Romans 8 without being convinced that the Holy Spirit is one of the most significant forces in your life today. He is so important because he brings all of the promises of God together through his power. And it's true. Romans 8, 11, the same power that did raise Jesus from the dead is alive in those who believe in Jesus. Um, my power as an earthly dad, I kind of love the age my kids are at right now. Like they're, they're um, 10, I got to think about it, 10, 8, and 6. That sounds right. We'll go with it. You don't know. And uh, if I want something done right now, I mean, it's like, I know I'm not the most jacked guy in the world, but my, to my kids I am. And I, I've got power. And I've got wisdom. Look, I understand the way the world works way better than my kids do. But my power and my wisdom is really only a function of time. I only have these things because I'm in my, my mid-30s. And I'm still kind of in shape and I've lived long enough to know what I don't know and know what I do know. And double my life when I'm in my mid-70s. Number one, I'll be more jacked, I promise. I'm going Arnold Schwarzenegger on this life. I won't be. And my kids will probably know more about the world than I do. Add a couple more years to it. And my power will be very weak. There's something about us as dads here in this world where our power is really limited to a couple years where we have absolute power over our kids. But the Holy Spirit's power is eternal. The power of our Father who is in heaven never diminishes it never decreases, which is confidence for you and me who live throughout centuries of history, who have looked at God and said, are you able to save? Are you able to move? Are you able to help? And the answer that God gives us is always yes. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. He can change you and me. And that's his purpose. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is, is, is clearly found in, in in that change. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes uh, this. He says, the Spirit's purpose is to mature us into the fullness of Jesus. Notice what he says in Ephesians chapter, chapter 4. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So somehow the Spirit's job is to bring unity to us. Well, how? Through the bonds of peace. And then he goes on to say, until all of us has reached unity in the faith. There it is again. And in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become spiritually mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There is a purpose that the Holy Spirit has, and, and, and the Holy Spirit reveals the purpose of God. It's to bring people together in maturity. The, the purpose of God is that you and I would be matured into people who live like Jesus and are united as witnesses. Trusting God in prayer, obeying his word, loving your neighbors, worshiping Jesus, repenting of sin. All of these are the purposes of the Holy Spirit in your life to make us want to do these things. I, on a technical sense, if you're a note-taking type of person, I'm going to say this real fast, but you could jot this down. On a technical sense, the Holy Spirit's main purpose, main job, is something like this. It's to convict us of sin. Have you ever had a moment where you did something that you knew was wrong and you tried to turn off your conscience? 
you're a follower of Jesus, that's actually the pricking of the spirit in your heart to help you want to be won back to the kindness of God through repentance. So his, his main job is to convict us of sin. It's also to convince us of truth. The Holy Spirit comes into our life to help us resonate with the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and to understand all of the implications of what that means. And he does that through his word, which the Holy Spirit authored. He does that through illuminating the word so that we can understand it with our minds. So he convicts us of sin. He convinces us of truth. He comforts us with love. I just prayed with a dear friend in the atrium just before this service. She's going through something really hard. The prayer was, of course, God heal, but also would you comfort with love? Because there are some moments of life that are just so tough, you don't know the way forward, you don't know if there is a way forward, but you want God's presence in the midst of it. And then finally, the Holy Spirit's job is to compel us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always acts as one who is going to get our attention back on Jesus. The Holy Spirit never, this is crazy, the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. This is why um, here at Heartland, we don't obsess over gifts of the Spirit that like would make too much of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is always trying to take believers and point them back to the power of Jesus in their lives. To, to be the one who reminds us of the gospel that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That, that, that the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and that by trusting in him, you too can walk in newness of life. Finally, the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God. We sang that song, how sweet is your presence, how vast is your love for me. How do we know that God is present? Well, he's present with us because his spirit is near. Um, we, we have this word that we use to describe God. If you, if you like big words, it's the word omnipresence. It, it means all present, always present and never at all times God is there. Psalm 139, if you've got a moment this week, read Psalm 139. It says, uh, um, uh, where can I go? I cannot flee from your spirit. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the depths of the earth, you're there. Uh, if I go to the left or the right, you're there. I cannot outrun your spirit. The Holy Spirit is alive at work in our lives to help us become like Jesus and help us follow Jesus as if he was walking right with us. So friends, your faith in Jesus means that you have the power and the purpose and the presence of God living inside of you. He is with us always. He is in our lives. And here's what I want to ask you. What does that do for you to know that your Father in heaven is actually with you through his Spirit? There's so many statistics today about fatherhood in our world. So many statistics about the presence of a dad in the home. Research tells us the number one thing a dad can do is just to be with your kids. Uh, I find that stunning because I would have thought like working hard at your job or buying a nice house or getting the right school district would be the best thing that I, I could do as a dad. But it's not, even, it's not even to buy them a baseball glove. It's just to be with them to spend time together, to, to play together, to, to be together. And our Father in heaven doesn't just want to know about us. He wants to spend time with us. So he resides in us. 
Friends, I hope loud and clear the one thing that you and I are compelled by Jesus to do then, to get this good life where God's power, his presence, and his purposes are available to us, it all boils down to this one very simple word that Jesus says. He says we just need to ask. How much more will your Father in heaven give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Um, it brings me back to Field of Dreams, the end of the movie, which ended perfectly. But what if, it, what if Field of Dreams didn't end the way that it ends? Um, I'd like to propose to you an alternate ending to the end of Field of Dreams. Is that okay? I wrote this. I, I want to do this because I wrote it. I think it's really good. It's kind of like my own professional debut. To do this, I'll need some music. We've got these guys here. Can I get like a theme song of Field of Dreams or something like that? Oh, I'm seeing the corn. I got it. That's great. Uh, probably too bright for a theater, so let's bring the lights down a little bit. No falling asleep, everybody. This is really good. Remember, you just watch all of this. They've gone to Boston. They've gone to Minneapolis. They've all the things. There's players, all that. Okay, so um, uh, Shoeless Joe is standing in the outfield, and he looks at Ray, right, Ray Kinsella, and he, he goes, if you build it, and he looks over at the catcher, he will come. The camera pans over to the catcher. He rips off his face mask, and it's John Kinsella. And Ray goes, oh, my God. And his wife goes, what? He goes, it's my, it's my father. And she says, well, what are you going to say to him? He goes, I don't know. And John walks over to Ray. And the camera kind of pans real close into the two of their faces. They haven't seen each other for decades. So much resentment has built up, so much longing, so much unfulfilled emotion. And John looks and says, hi, folks. Just want to thank you for building this here field for us to play in. And Ray goes, yeah, no problem. John looks back and he goes, well, see you tomorrow. Is that okay that we come back? And Ray says, uh, Sure, that'd be fine. Come back whenever you want. John says, that's amazing. You guys sure are sweet. See you later. And John walks all the way back to the corn. And Ray in his heart knows that this is his one chance to get the thing that his heart has always longed for, just the resolution to his relationship with his dad. And somehow he doesn't say anything else and the movie ends. <laughs> Thank you guys. That was great. <laughs> Isn't that the worst movie ever? You're not crying anymore. You're angry. You're walking out and you're like, that stunk. What in the world? All he had to do was, Dad, would you like to have a catch? And that's the, the thing that today, I think for all of us hearing this, I hope it's so clear in your heart that God is here. Your father is so close to you. He's given every ounce of closeness he can give you without invading your life. But he gives us permission to ask. He wants us to ask. And I want to ask you this question. Have you, when was the last time that you asked God to be present in your life? 
When was the last time you said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm open to what you have for me today. Help me see you. Help me feel your presence. Help me think more about Jesus today. Wherever you see the works of Jesus, forgiveness, love, compassion, mercy, we can see that the work of the Spirit is available to us and working around us. Wherever we see those things, we should stop and say, God, thanks for letting me see that you're at work. Thanks for throwing me the ball. Thanks for playing catch with me, Dad. I think God so dearly wants to have a close relationship with us, and I think we so dearly want to have a close relationship with God. I know I do. But God's put us in a position of being able to make the ask. And so here's just, as we leave today, three real simple ways to ask God. I think we just do this. We ask specifically. I was thinking about why don't we ask sometimes for God to be present in our lives, and I think it's because we don't actually ask specifically. How many times have you prayed, God, be with us today, help us to have a good day, help us to love you more, help us to, but you've got a need, you've got a desire, you've got a deal that's about to fall through in your business, and you're like, God, I really need wisdom to figure out how to do this. You've got a child who you don't know how to help uh, steer them in, in the directions that they should go, and, you, and you're just asking God to give you good stuff. Ask God specifically, God, my child needs my advice, and I don't know what to tell him. Would you give me the advice, the words, the help? the sympathy, the wisdom. God wants to be with us so specifically, so tangibly, but sometimes we're too vague. And so be as specific as possible. Ask God specifically. Here's the second thing. I think um, sometimes we don't ask because we, we got our hands clenched around what we want God to do, and we don't think he's going to do it. It's like us protecting God. Like, I don't want to be let down by God. What happens if he doesn't deliver for me? What if he doesn't throw the ball back? <laughs> what if he takes it and runs into the corn? But um, the examples of Jesus are asking for the things that we need and risking the fact that the Father won't give us the bad stuff. And so um, ask open-handedly, specifically saying, God, this is what I need, but I'm also open today, God, for whatever you would bring me through. And then here's the third, the third way we should ask. is just to ask willing to be changed we're literally playing with fire when we invite the Holy Spirit's presence into our lives. And so um, if you're not willing to be changed, you have no business asking God's presence in your life because this is what he does. He changes us. And he changes us not in bad ways, not in evil ways. He changes us to look like the best person who lived the best life, like his son Jesus. So when we ask God, would you be with me? Would you, would, you, would you specifically handle this concern that I have? God, I do so knowing that you're not obligated to me, but I just come to you like a kid asking his dad for a catch. You know what's funny about Miles? As we've played catch thousands of times now, um, he's gotten better. He's gotten better at baseball. He just does it better. He catches them. He throws them. It, it, it used to be chase is what the game used to be called. <laughs> but over time, it's become catch. And I think that's true for us as we follow God, as we invite him, as we say, can you give me more of the Holy Spirit in my life? I'm open-handed. Here's what I need specifically from you. But I'm willing to be changed so that you can shape me. Uh, God makes us better followers of him. So here's what I want to do. I want you to rise to your feet as we leave today. Um, I want to just offer words of thanks to God 
and a commission to us. And I'm going to give you just a, a moment here right now. We did this last week. I thought it was so helpful for us. We just took our hands and we opened them and we, we came to God open-handedly. And I want to give you a moment just in the quietness of your heart. You know the specific thing on your mind that you need God's presence with, but maybe you've not asked. And gosh, it'd just be like sitting on the sidelines of the field of dreams and not asking for the catch. I just want to give you that moment right here, right now. Just for 30 seconds, I'm going to let this room be silent. I'm going to let you talk to your Father who is in heaven and do the thing that Jesus says we should do, which is ask. So go ahead. Online. Go ahead. God, what's amazing about this moment is that your spirit is present with us, each one of us individually, but united as a group of people who are dependent upon you. This is so like what you do. You bring us together, you point us to Jesus, and you say, go, be my witnesses. God, we've all asked you for something here right now. We do so open-handedly, we do so willing to be changed because we know that your way is the best way. And I just ask God that as we go here, from this place, you would be with us, that you would be drawing our hearts to Jesus today, that you would be showing us your power, and that we'll be inclined to come back and ask again. We love you, God. Amen. Harlan, we'll see you next week.